Hey, good morning. It's 5 a.m. and welcome back. This is episode three of the second season, and we are going over the Mahatma Letters. And it's a very obscure book, or um, a book that is uh, not necessarily very popular, hard to find, or rare, or rather it's just not popular. It is popular in the theo, oh, excuse me, theosophical. Society, the Society of Theosophy. And as we discussed last time, the Theosophy, Society of Theosophy, or Theosophical Society, was started by Blavatsky. Madame Blavatsky. Okay, let's get right into it. Let's get right into it. Let's talk about... Let's uh, go over a little bit of what we discussed last time. All right, Master K.H. and Master... Now, these are teachers of uh, Madame Blavatsky. And... This book was written... by a man named uh, let me see his name I apologize folks it's 5am here <laughs> A.P. Sinet the A uh, Mr. A.P. Sinet S-I-N-N-E-T-T A.P. Sinet and he was studying with Madame Blavatsky of the Theosophical Society. The writer undertook the task with the fullest sense of the grave responsibility attending his action convinced that the moment had come when the highest interests of the Theosophical Society demanded the full publication of the teachings of the Masters given to Mr. Sinnott. He feels the responsibility the more keenly since there is a passage in one of the letters in this volume in which the master, K.H. So the masters are described as only K.H. and M. The letters of their name. K period, H period. And the other one is M period. He feels the responsibility the more keenly since there is a passage in one of the letters in this volume in which the master K.H. says that neither he nor his brother M. So K.H. and masters K.H. and master M. are brothers. He feels the responsibility the more keenly since there is a passage in one of the letters in this volume in which the Master K.H. says that neither he nor his brother M. would ever permit the publication thereof. So, neither of the two Masters, 
wanted the letters publicized. Though, okay, back to Mr. Sinnott, though there can be no doubt that these letters were not intended for publication at the time they were written, okay. There were correspondences between the two brothers. And as we'll find out later, they are called uh, Mahachohans or Mahatmas, as they were described earlier. Mahatmas, Mahatmas, great souls, or Mahachohans, great representatives of God or great spiritual masters. If the term spiritual master does not vibe with you, uh, you're not alone. At first, oh, when you hear someone say, you know, I'm a spiritual master, Your ego just steps right in and just, you know, gets all defensive. How dare you say you're a spiritual master? Because it's, uh, most of us realize, most of you, you guys realize, you out there, you're in the audience. I'm not sure what you all realize, but, uh... (laughs) Honestly, I assume from what I... No, I make an observation. Rather, I'm not assuming. I'm I'm making an observation based off of my experiences. Okay? What I have observed, I I can only relay to you and transmit and and, uh, communicate what I've observed. So, what I've observed is that people realize it's not a cheap thing. It's not as easy as saying, oh, I'm a spiritual master. But some, some people, take it upon themselves to be a spiritual master. And, uh, you know, They make no apologies. And why should you? Why should you? Okay. Although, Masters KH, so far we only know that much of who, who they are. Their identities are hidden, rather. So far in the introduction, actually, in the beginning of this book... K.H. and M. brothers, we know they're brothers, did not intend for their letters to be publicized. So why did Mr. A.P. Sinnott, Mr. Sinnott, uh, decide to um, public uh, publicize their letters? I assume, now I'm making a, an assumption, because we haven't gotten to that part yet, that uh, Mr. Sinnott felt 
that these letters should be made into a book and publicized. And it says, uh, convinced that the moment had come when the highest interests of the Theosophical Society, he he was convinced that the highest interests of the Theosophical Society, which he was a part of, or which he was following at least, demanded the full publication of the teachings of the Masters. He, he took it upon himself. He said, now is the time, people. And I still have yet to look into the Theosophical Society. I mean, I know very little. I, I know of it. Um, but I, I guess uh, we'll learn more of it through this book. And I'll, I'll do my research. So shall we continue? Through... Okay, I'm sorry. Though there can be no doubt that these letters were not intended for publication at the time they were written. Okay, it may also be fairly assumed that the present impasse in the affairs of the society was not anticipated either. At a time when there is so much controversy in regard to what was and what was not the original teaching of the Masters, The publication of the words of its own teachers can do nothing less than serve the highest interests of the great movement, which claims for its motto that there is no religion higher than truth. That is their motto, the Theosophical Society. And they were arguing regarding the letters. After Mr. Sennett had written the book, they were arguing that it was not the original teaching of the masters. And imagine the society whose motto is there is no religion higher than truth. Of course, there was controversy over whether the teachings of, they were the original teachings of the masters. And I assume this was after Blavatsky was not around. The masters are what they are. What they have written, they have written. And neither they nor their doctrines need the acclamation or apology of lesser minds. Apology of lesser minds. So make no apologies. That is what is being said. Make no apologies, O spiritual masters. Make no apologies. Sometimes someone feels something demands to be publicized. And make no apologies. Okay. The Master K.H. writes in very clear terms on this subject, and it may be well to quote in 
his words, his own words. And now, after making due allowance for evils that are natural and cannot be avoided, I will point out the greatest, the chief cause of nearly two-thirds of the evils that pursue humanity ever since that cause became a power. Let's backtrack a little bit. It must be admitted that there has been an increasing tendency in the society during the last 12 years to place an undue reliance on ceremonial orders, churches, creeds, and their equivalent, thereby sacrificing the virility of individual effort and freedom of thought, which was so noticeable in the early days of the movement. I have to comment on a little bit of what I was listening to this morning was sort of an argument. I mean, it was the type of argument. I I chose to interpret it as the type of argument where, uh, you know, things are being fleshed out. And, you know, it's like, uh, you know, devil's advocate. Somebody takes a devil's advocate position and the other one takes that, uh, you know, uh, protagonist position. And, uh, you know, someone chimes in every once in a while that, uh, you know, who's, who's somewhat neutral, but a little bit biased on one side, the protagonist side. And it's very kind of like, I guess it's, it's what you would call Hegelian. But anyway, um, it was an argument. I, I, I literally got sick at the end of it. <laughs> I mean, I was listening to over an hour of argument. I don't, don't ask me why. I think I have a, an addiction to controversy. <laughs> this is, this is, uh, I'll make no apologies, but I'll make no apologies, but I realized by the end of this, of listening to the two guys arguing that I had a, an addiction to controversy. And I opened this book and start reading it. And in the very beginning, it talks about that the fact that the book is a controversial book. And, uh, you know, not all of the members of the Theosophical Society even thought it was the original teachings of the Masters. But apparently, Mr. Sinnott, who was working with Blavatsky, felt that it was, and demanded that it be publicized, that it be made known, be brought to light. He had his own reasons. Perhaps we'll discover them later on. Anyway, back to the argument. It was an argument that had, uh, you know, it, it's 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 kind of 
Okay. The protagonist took the position of advocating for a certain religion, but then went on ahead and went ahead and explained how he didn't have a religion. He didn't follow a religion. He just followed a certain holy scripture that guided him through having a relationship with God. And he knew God as a particular name, as a particular person. And he saw God as a person he was having a relationship with. And he used a particular scripture as his authoritative scripture to guide him. So he didn't count that as a religion. So the two uh, parties, the two people, agreed that they did not want to be a part of religion. But the other person in the argument took the stance of, well, um, being spiritual. They didn't, he didn't use the word religious, or he didn't use the word relationship. He didn't say, he was careful not to say he had, he was involved in a relationship with God, or he used any kind of scripture at all. Instead, he used his own personal method, um, which is a method that had been used by religious and spiritual people for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years, perhaps. So he used a particular method to um, connect with truth. And it's safe to say, I would say, that he um, he uh, thinks of himself as a truth seeker, as a truth seeker, which it reminds me and brings me back to the Mahatma letters. It reminds me very much of this theosophical society, this theosophical society, and I wonder if he is a follower or advocate of theosophy. I don't know him personally, but I was listening to the argument uh, even still. But and it reminds me of the motto that there's no higher religion than truth. And he uh, considers himself someone who is in the pursuit of truth. A seeker of truth.
Yes, and it is like it's sort of eavesdropping. It's sort of eavesdropping. It is. It, it's. It's. Although, two people put themselves out there on, uh, you know, on a you you on on well on a platform. <laughs> On a platform in which the public can watch them, and they um, commence in an argument or in a, in a debate. It wasn't much of a debate; it was much more like an argument <laughs> between two people who were just. Uh, communicating their point of view and their opinion one side had his opinions backed up by you know various ways of validating and the other person was backing his point of view with his own ways of validating they didn't necessarily agree on various uh, ways of validating their stance and uh, of course one side favored uh, another method and favored another form of validation over another. But as I heard one time in a program, television program, television show, that two boxers, although it looks like two boxers, two different people in the ring, boxing it out. They're really one person. They're really the same person, really. And it's somewhat of a tornado where everything's just <laughs> whirlwinded up into the air together and equally taken up, you know? And just to the naked eye, we make distinctions. We make such distinctions that separate uh, our form of communication and uh, the descriptions that we use to define ourselves with. And... As somebody, a, a good friend of mine, pointed out the other day, de definitions are limited. They're, they limit you. They limit you. But, I mean, I don't have... Uh, okay, well, you know, sometimes I do. But most of the time, most of the time, limitations are good. Aleister Crowley used to think... 
restriction is the only the, he he would say restriction is the only sin restriction is the only sin so other would say hedonism is not the the way that uh if you don't restrict yourself <laughs> you end up becoming hedonistic and i don't believe that i don't believe that um although yes it's true addictions can be made very easily and going back to i'm addicted to controversy <laughs> can't believe i listen to these guys for like an hour over an hour and these guys were just going i mean it was like well done bravo bravo well done guys gentlemen it was a pleasure listening to you but i had a headache at the end of it <laughs> and i even said at one point to myself why am i listening to this in, in the middle of it i could have just turned it off but uh again it's it was just simply it's is equivalent to eavesdropping but they put themselves out there and it, it i I have to believe that they do it on purpose. They do it on purpose, you know? I mean, of course. It's genius. People like me love to hear stuff like that. And we love to read books that are controversial. And is it really controversial, you know? It's just posed as controversial. And uh As I said before, people are not so 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 thin-skinned and, you know, they don't take things to heart so much. I was watching a uh, a video on an actress who, okay. <laughs> oh my god, you know, she was trying to be sarcastic. She was trying to be sarcastic. But she had such a flat tone to her that it was impossible. It was very difficult to tell whether she was being sarcastic or she was taking offense. And she interpreted, she constantly interpreted with people's questions negative intent. So, it was like a, an example of saying it in other words that the person made, who made the video was saying she was giving a uh in this one interview where she was answering questions she was giving a uh perfect example of someone that may have been trying to come across as being sarcastic and trying to make you know trying to make jokes but she had such a flat tone about her and she was she sounded defensive and is one a perfect example of one trait that people don't like that people that 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 quickly get people to not like you because of course in today's world the court of popular opinion 
the court of popular opinion. The court of public opinion is out. Is no, it's 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 in it's in. Uh, how should you say? You know, the judge is ready. This is the year. Actually, I saw someone going over a tarot, the tarot the other day for 2021, and he was saying, this is the year for judgment. This is the year for the judgment. And the judgment is, uh, in today's world, the it's the court of public opinion. It's a popularity contest, folks. And if you don't have a half a million to a million views on your channel, you are not very popular. It's just the way it is. (laughs) And poor people who, oh, just have a handful of friends or acquaintances are missing out. Oh, goodness. Today is not a day in which you can just relate to your family and be involved in your family and in your neighborhood and in your local community. Oh, no, no, no. The local community has to be Oh, boy. Two million views. And if you don't cut that, if you don't cut the mustard, buddy, you know, (laughs) you can't possibly be happy. You can't possibly be living uh, a normal life or a life in which you're successful and you feel successful or life and uh, which you're satisfied you can't possibly be satisfied come on you know come on everyone's online the party's online do we need a pandemic to to, to get you online Oh my goodness. Stop watching other people and living vicariously. For goodness sake, stop living through other people and watching. Don't be a watcher. Be watched. It's the Truman show. It's the popular it's a it's the popular it's a popularity contest. And nobody wins. Everybody wins if you get over a million views. <laughs> or, yeah, hey. Half a million might might be acceptable. You'll get in the you'll get in the door with a half a million views. Okay? No biggie. No biggie. Not that, not that elitist, you know. 
not like the elite, the one percenter elite that we got going on. Oh, this is the 99% elite. So we got to get online. Okay. And this type of line does not, it, we're not standing uh, one behind the other. We're not standing in a line next to each other holding hands. We are standing in front of the all-seeing eye. <laughs> and we're watching each other. Watching each other through a lens. Through a lens, folks. Through a lens. Yep, through a lens. And that's what they mean by the third eye. The camera eye. The third eye is the camera eye. Not your pineal gland. Not your brain or imagination. It's the camera lens eye. The all-seeing eye. What is it? The eye of Sauron? I think it's the... It's called... As, is it called the, the Lord of the Rings? Sauron? The Lord of... The, the eye of Sauron? I don't know. It's the magic eye. And it is coming from the cloud. All this stuff is coming from the cloud. All this digital information is coming from the cloud, as they say. So onward with my addiction for controversy. And, uh, <laughs> okay, if you're not curious... And you don't want, you know, yeah, whatever, whatever. I'd like to do, I like to do this. It's fun for me. And I, I'd like to, if you're listening, I'd like to make it fun for you too. Okay. Many theories which have become the accepted dogmas of modern theosophical doctrines are clearly shown to be inaccurate and misleading. And it may therefore be profitable if the principal points of difference are indicated to the reader. It must be admitted that there has been an increasing tendency in the society during the last 12 years to place an undue reliance on ceremonial orders, ceremonial orders, churches, creeds, and their equivalent, thereby sacrificing the virility of individual effort and freedom of thought, which was so noticeable in the early days of the movement. Okay. The Master K.H. writes in very clear terms on this subject, and it may be well to quote his own words. And now, after making due allowance for evils that are natural and cannot be avoided, I will point out the greatest, the chief cause of nearly two-thirds 
of the evils that pursue humanity ever since that cause became a power. It is religion under whatever form and in whatsoever nation. It is the sacerdotal caste, the priesthood, and the churches. It is in those illusions that man looks upon as sacred that he has to search out the source of that multitude of evils, which is the great curse of humanity, and that almost overwhelms mankind. Ignorance created gods, and cunning took advantage of the opportunity. Letter number 10. And again, far from our thoughts may it ever be to erect a new hierarchy for the future oppression of a priest-ridden world. Letter number 87. The inference and the message of these words in our own times is sufficiently clear. Religion comes from the word, Latin root word, religare. Religare, it means to bind. Okay, so we have the, the Bible, la Biblia, the Bible. And it is also a bound book of many books. So it is the Bibles within the major Bible, the bounded Bible book. All right. And the New Testament, it is a test a mente. It is to test your mind, test mente. Test your mind. The new one, the New Testament is called the gospel or the good spell. So the good spell has everything to do with binding and loosening. So it is a bound book of many books, 66 to be precise, and it is a book about bondage. So, you could say, um, if you're into the Bible, you would be into bondage, into, uh, um, what do they call it, BDSM? Yeah. Well, BDSM has to do with sadomasochism. Has to do with sadomasochism. Whether you're literally tying people up or not. I mean, <laughs> that's your business. You know? Um, you know? Even if it's the Truman Show. And everybody's on film nowadays, and everybody's under the magic eye, the the, the magic uh, 
all-seeing third eye. It's still your business. It's your own business. If you're into it or not. But I think it what is it was what, what does BDSM stand for exactly? BDSM 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 a variety of often erotic practices or role playing involving bondage, discipline, dominance, and submission. Okay, sadomasochism. Yeah, and they're showing a, a photograph of a woman wearing a collar with an attached chain. <laughs> oh, this is funny stuff, man. It's fun to play. It's just people, are, you know, we're all wacky, man. We are all wacky. We are all wacky. But anyway, it's a bound book, a bound book of many books, and it does have very much to do with binding and loosening, and I mean, for all intents and purposes, it's, it, it's the whole book's about bondage. The whole book is about bondage. So the Old Testament is as well. It has to do with, you know, um, coming into captivity, being captured, being enslaved, and then being set free. It's a give and take in God's world. It's the most controversial subject whereas even they can just set up any anybody who has some intelligence can set up an argument and make it popular and uh, no apologies folks no apologies the inference and the message of these words in our own times is sufficiently clear. There has been a noticeable tendency also for sections of the society to drift towards what Master K.H. calls that most insane and fatal of superstitions. Spiritualism. Letter number 49. In another letter, he says, A psychic society is being founded. It will grow and develop and expand, and finally, the Theosophical Society of London will be swamped in it and lose first its influence, then its name, until Theosophy, in its very name, becomes a thing of the past. It is regrettable that these words are as true today as when they were written. 
The whole question is thrashed out from every point of view in these letters so that no misunderstanding is possible to the mind of the impartial student. The mischief lies then as now in the misunderstanding of the real nature of spiritualistic phenomena. Those who adhere to the methods of spiritualism claim that communication can be established with the souls and spirits of the departed by means of properly qualified mediums. That communication of a kind between the living and the dead can be made is accepted as a demonstrable fact in these letters and is not challenged in any way. But communication with what? Here lies the crux of the whole matter. Okay, we're going to skip ahead. Those students of occultism who believe themselves guided by disincarnate entities ranging in degree from departed theosophists to adepts who have relinquished the use of physical bodies on earth uh, in brackets esoteric Buddhism page 133 8th edition by means of the methods of mediums Ouija boards and their equivalent will do well to consider their position in the light of these letters communication with departed theosophists in other words the real entities as already shown is an impossibility for alas they cannot be included among those who have achieved immortality the exceptions to the general rule governing humanity being so very few and with regard to the guidance of disembodied adept spirits it may be asked how those who have not deserved individual instruction from adepts in the flesh can possibly expect to receive direct help from their superiors, the planetary spirits, the Jian or Dihan, Chohanic host. It cannot be too strongly emphasized that in thus externalizing the source from which he seeks inspiration. The student sacrifices all possibility of the grand realities of spiritual attainment and direct knowledge. The ever unknowable and incognizable karana alone. The causeless cause of all causes should have its shrine and altar on the holy and untrodden ground of our heart. Invisible, intangible, unmentioned, save through the still small voice of our spiritual consciousness. Those who worship before it ought to do so in the silence and sanctified solitude of their souls, uh, 
making their spirit the sole mediator between them and the universal spirit, their good actions their only priests, and their sinful intentions the only visible and objective sacrificial victims to the presence, quote-unquote, the presence, in brackets, The Secret Doctrine, Volume 1, page 280. Okay, I'll stop there and I'll, I'll pick up later on from that point. Now, I... I understand that um, as I, I as I heard before someone once said called this the western esoteric tradition wet it's it short for it's short uh, abbreviated as wet w e t <laughs> Uh, and this was from a, a monk, very well-respected monk. I, I respect him and regard him as, uh, a Maharaj, a, uh, a great king, a Mahatma. I, I, I regard him as a Mahatma, as a spiritual master, actually. and uh, a great teacher. But uh, this type of thing, uh, he was adamantly against. He was adamantly against. (laughs) Come on, baby. Hello. Miss Perez. Hello, Mama. Miss Perez. (laughs) We have some activity here. Five, uh, quarter to six, quarter to six in the morning. (laughs) <laughs> I'm in a rehabilitation center, a nursing home, folks. So, <laughs> she, 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 <laughs> there's someone, uh, someone's out of bed, a little bit lost and confused. Uh, and which is, this signals my time to go. So, anyway, someone dear to me, was adamantly against this uh, Western esoteric tradition of theosophy, but I, I chose to explore it since I have to confront, and this, I believe it with my whole heart, I have to confront and come to uh, out of my denial and admit that I have uh, <laughs> somewhat of an addiction to or a fetish for controversy. There I said it, you know, and it's, uh, it's, it's worth exploring. It's worth exploring. It definitely makes sense. You know, this, this, every program on television is, is, it's, uh, everything is dramatized. Everything's dramatic. Sorry, folks. I'll pick up on the rest of this. Later on, maybe uh, some food for thought. And uh, maybe I'll I'll just read a a little bit 
from the Bible, from the book of Deuteronomy, since we've learned something new about it today. Okay. Um, chapter 2, verse 32. Then Sihon, or Sihon, with all his people came out to meet us in battle at Jehaz. The Lord our God delivered him over to us, and we defeated him with his sons and all his people. So we captured all his cities at that time, and utterly destroyed the men, women, and children of every city. We left no survivor. We took only the animals as our booty and the spoil of the cities which we had captured. From Aroer, which is on the edge of the valley of Arnon, and from the city which is in the valley, even to Gilead, there was no city that was too high for us. The Lord our God delivered all over to us. The Lord our God delivered all over to us. Okay, this was after Moses had sent messengers. He said, so I sent messengers from the wilderness, as we recall the last time. He sent a messenger, basically asking uh, the king of Heshbon in, in a peaceful way, saying, let me pass through your land. I will buy food from you. I will buy water from you. And uh, we will be supplies. I'll buy supplies from you. And let me pass through your land in order to get through to the promised land. Okay? And through to the dreaded ones, as we recall, the dreaded ones. And they, they would fight them. They would fight them and enter the promised land. Okay? Um, it said, Just as the sons of Esau who live in Seir and the Moabites who live in Ar did for me. Okay? They, 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 they said, you know, we've come this far. Let, let us pass through. Let us pass through. We will uh, make it worth your while. But Sihon, king of Heshbon, was not willing for us to pass through his land. For the Lord your God hardened. So it says, for the Lord your God. It says here, for the Lord your God. Your God. It doesn't say for the Lord our God. <laughs> and this is Moses talking. For the Lord your God hardened his spirit and made his heart obstinate in order to deliver him into your hand as he is today. Okay? So God wanted to deliver him into the hands of the Israelites. And this is where I'll stop. God bless you guys. And until next time, peace out.